This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today on CityCast Philly, our city's home to more than 4,000 murals. While these massive works aren't meant to last forever, priceless pieces are disappearing or threatened. Today, I'm talking with two people close to this story about the tension between public art and private development. It's Wednesday, May 24th. I'm Laura Benshoff, filling in for Trinae Nuri. Here's what Philly's talking about. Shira Walensky, you're a muralist. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) And Eric Dale, you are lead contributor to Streets Department, a blog about public art and public space. Welcome to CityCast. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start with Shira. You've painted dozens of murals around the city, and some of those have recently been destroyed. Can you tell me what happened? Yeah, just I've been painting murals since 2000 in the city of Philadelphia with mostly with Mural Arts Philadelphia. And you know when you're going in that this is not going to be permanent, and that's okay. Um, But in the last several years, there have been so many murals that have come down, it's given me pause. There was a mural located at 7th and Moore um, called Language Lab, and it was a project working with new refugee communities from Burma and from Bhutan, and then the wider community in Southeast Philadelphia, Vietnamese, um, Khmer, Indonesian, um, Eritrean, Ethiopian, <laughs> like a vast array of, of communities and, and languages. That was one example of a, a mural that took a lot of research and a lot of community effort and told a community story that I think is not often told. What happened to that one? That one was taken down and there was new development that was built. And so you you don't want a mural also to stand in the way of housing, especially affordable housing. Um, yet, you know... With that particular mural, Shira, I, based on what they built there, I don't have the sense that that is affordable housing. So to me, that particular one feels very much like a story of the community being replaced by, you know, luxury townhouses. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel that way to me. There were a couple others that came down in the last year too, right? Of your works? Yes, there was one located at 42nd um, and Chestnut, also to development. Um, there was one located at 7th and Shunk, which was of a, a temple. Um, there was one at 7th and Emily, <laughs> also kind of describing you know, the the stories of immigrant and refugee communities. So again, it's not that they all can stay up. It's not realistic, but I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for many muralists across the city in thinking about what does public art mean? What do community stories mean to the city? And what does that mean when it is, you know, wiped away, taken down? Those are the questions that I have. Did you get any heads up or any any notice when those came down? For half I did. <laughs> Two of them I was notified and one mural 
I actually drove by and saw a guy whiting it out. <laughs> and then I stopped my car and was like, excuse me. Um, <laughs> and he didn't know. He was a small landlord. I understand maybe there was communication issues, but he decided to white it out to bring in another kind of business. I think when you're not notified and you see it come down, that's mm -hmm. terrible feeling because you like, no one told me how, you know, someone's just painting over it. Um, or uh, there's certain murals that you just put so much time and work into and you know how many people worked on it that you feel, you know, really, ang you know, angry and, you know, upset. Yeah. And again, it, it's not all of them, but it's some of them <laughs> really yeah. hit home. And I want to take a step back quickly for people who might not know. I'm wondering if one or both of you can tell me what's the backstory of Mural Arts, which is the big main mural program here. Sure. The The backstory is of uh, the mural program in Philadelphia is uh, the biggest a mural program nationally. It's over 40 years old and it's really developed into this rich program that has programs that deal with um, mental health issues in the city. People who were recently formerly incarcerated coming out and getting work. Um, so it, it really is not just a mural painting program, but a, a program that really works with communities in, in a deeper way. Mural Arts actually started out being known as the Anti-Graffiti Network, and they specifically chose spots to paint murals that previously had attracted graffiti. And they often worked with graffiti writers to paint those murals. And because of sort of the street art understanding of hierarchy, once you paint a mural somewhere, generally the graffiti stops because graffiti writers recognize, okay, this is a mural now, I'm going to get in big trouble if I paint over this. And so even from its inception, mural arts was, you know, making choices about what communities are we representing and uh, where are we placing murals to have an impact. Also, I want to be clear that I, I don't, you know, privilege murals over graffiti in any way. What are some of the most famous murals in the city that people may have seen or heard about? Sure, I'll just I'll just jump and say, you know, we have an enormous number of murals in Philadelphia, over 4,000 murals and done by a variety of artists. And, you know, some examples would be the Love Letters project, um which is um 50 murals going down the L by artist Steve Powers. Right. Um in West Philly, right? In West Philly. It's an amazing project. You just jump on the subway and, you know, see the murals. There's a mural located at 22nd and Ellsworth by Keith Herring and um that's an incredible mural and when people drive, walk, bike by, they're like, "Whoa, what? There's Keith Herring in Philadelphia." And that almost came down based on a property owner at one point that could have cared less who it was. And then a property owner who moved in and said, oh, my God, we have Keith Haring, you know, mural on our on our wall and brought in the Keith Haring Foundation to restore it. Right. And Keith Haring was a famous artist in the 1980s. He does these kind of bubbly primary colored figures that are super recognizable. Right. Yes. And the thing I'm always thinking about is 
you know, you don't know who the next Keith Haring is going to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a Philadelphia muralist right now who is putting up pieces that are going to be world famous in 30 years. And what if those just are <laughs> built over, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and moving beyond the scale of individual communities, just the fact that we have so many murals here now kind of says something about Philadelphia as a whole, that this is a world-class art collection that we have, and it turns kind of the whole city into a museum. And so you have to think about it from that perspective of our reputation on you know the national and the world stage as having this amazing art collection, but yet we're letting, you know, half a dozen pieces from it be lost every single year. It's kind of a concerning trend. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I wanted to follow up on this thread of, you know, this is public art that is often driven by a community. It's often asked for by a community, or at least in some cases, it exists in a way that the community or anyone walking by can can observe and enjoy an artwork. But who actually owns the walls that the murals go up on? How does that part of murals going up work? Well, literally, once the mural goes up, you know, technically it belongs to the building owner. But the idea really belongs, the idea is out in public space. And I think the cool thing is they're owned by that community in an, in another sense. Right. And Eric, you recently wrote about this topic. You wrote about mural ownership and destruction for Streets Department. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about these debates about recent fights over public art in Philly. You know, I'm thinking about the very recent example of mosaics by Isaiah Zagar, who's a really famous Philadelphia mosaic artist. He works with mirror and tile, and his work is at the Magic Gardens in South Philly and all over the city. And now some of it's being destroyed. Yeah, the the recent destruction of a of an Isaiah piece um, in Bella Vista definitely got this conversation going yet again um, because it started without any warning to the artist or to the community or to the neighbors and honestly seem to be being done uh, somewhat haphazardly as well. Um, so yeah, there's there's plenty of examples of that. And lots of times there isn't even time for a debate or a discussion because someone decides to destroy a mural or tear down a mural and then it's done. There's nothing to be debated because the cat is out of the bag. Um, there's another Isaiah piece that has been going back and forth. Is it going to be saved? Is it going to be destroyed? Is it going to be saved? Um, and it's on the former home of the Painted Bride Art Center in Old City. And the Philadelphia Magic Gardens has been fighting to preserve this piece for years now because they consider it to be a piece of Americana that deserves to be around for the next hundred years. And so the property was sold and then the developer came back with a plan to save it and the neighbors vetoed it and the judge vetoed that. And, and so it's just been back and forth. And so they don't know what will happen to that mural. You know, Shira, you've worked in this space for decades. Murals are coming down. What's driving that? What's changing the city right now? 
I do think that murals are coming down at, at a faster rate. And I think it's because of, in, you know, increased development in the city. And again, some of that is really good. Some of it is housing that's needed. And, you know, sometimes murals have to move on. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's the pace of it. And it's the concentration in, in certain areas that you know that some of this is connected to gentrification, housing, that it's not exactly for the people that live there. Philly is kind of uniquely situated to have so many murals because of how row houses are designed and built in Philly. We have all of these great walls that are exposed on on corners, but also wherever there are vacant lots. And you know, you have seen, I'm sure as well as me, how many vacant lots around the city have been filled in in recent years. And so all of that infill is taking away lots of space that could have murals or that does already have murals. Eric, I wanted to ask specifically because you you wrote about some suggestions for changing the conversation about the way we treat murals, how we think about their futures and their ownership. Um, tell me what you came up with. What were your your suggestions for how the city could move forward? Sure. So I'm I'm no policy genius, but just talking with Shira and with Jane Golden and with uh, Emily Smith from the Magic Gardens and hearing about what they have seen and witnessed and and fought with, um, I came up with three sort of suggestions on my own of what seems to me might be helpful ways to try and get at this issue. So the first is just shifting the conception of ownership, because like Shira said. When it all comes down to it, it's up to the property owner. What if every mural comes with a contract that outlines joint ownership with the property owner where it's painted? So that if the property owner decides they want to tear down the building, well, in order to do that, they have to buy out the other half of the ownership of the mural. And then that could then fund a mural somewhere else, potentially. So literally changing how we think of who owns a mural could definitely protect more murals in the city. Uh, the second idea I had was just quantifying the value of murals because nobody really has hard data on this. We sort of have this general sense that murals are positive for the community and positive for the city as a whole. So if we had data about that, we could use that to convince legislators and probably developers as well, the value in preserving murals. And then my third idea was to just straight up make it harder to demolish murals. What if in city property records, there was a little checkbox that says this property has a mural on it or a piece of public art on it that would be flagged whenever a property was up for being demolished or being sold or whatever, that basically says, hey, developer, you need to talk to someone about the piece of art that is on this property before you can do anything with it. I don't know how that would be enforced. I don't know. I'm sure Philadelphia yeah. city records are not famously uh, functional city of Philadelphia <laughs> fixes. Murals. Yeah, This is definitely a doable option, but you know, blue skies, I, I think this could, you know, make an impact in preserving things. Yeah. And Shira, you've talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to ask you as an artist, what do you want to see? I think you want to, have those stories continue in some way. Maybe some of them are, you know, virtual. Maybe not all of them can mm. exist. There's lots of solutions. I think at the very least, 
um, building owners need to notify mural arts about if it, if it was a mural arts project that this is coming down. And two, I think in terms of development, um, not just looking at the artwork as raw building material, but there's an, an, there's an idea on the wall. There's a community represented on the wall. Um, I did a mural many years ago. It was on the Spring Garden Street Bridge. It had 40 portraits of community members, um, very large portraits, six foot portraits. It had like the block captain. It had the jazz musician. Um, it had a baby, you know, a couple babies on it. It had uh, the blind grandmother down the, <laughs> the street. And when I went to check out the mural as it was coming down, I was told, oh, yeah, this is like eight cents in scrap metal. It was it was just like, wow, that's <laughs> that's the value. Um, so I think it's um, identifying that they do they do have worth and finding some way to preserve not all of them, but being a little bit more systematic. And I think looking at the collection as a whole that brings you know value to the city. Yeah. Right. No one is saying we need to save every mural forever mm -hmm. because that's just physically not possible. Mm -hmm. But we are saying that there should be some sort of process for addressing this question when it comes up. Do Is this mural worth saving? How could it be saved? Is it cost effective to save it? What is the quantifiable value of it? And what are the consequences of removing it? Shira Walensky, muralist, thank you so much for talking with us on CityCast Philly. Thank you so much. And Eric Dale, lead contributor at Streets Department Blog. Thank you for sharing some of your reporting with us. Thank you. It was great to be here. For more information and to support Eric and Shira's work, check out the links in our show notes. And here's what else Philly's talking about. The Pennsylvania House of Representatives passed two pieces of gun legislation this week, the Philadelphia Inquirer reports. One, known as a red flag bill, would allow the temporary removal of firearms from someone who a judge deems is a danger to themselves or others. The other would expand background checks to long guns purchased at gun shows. While these bills had some GOP support in the House, they are unlikely to pass the Republican-controlled state Senate. And next week, a winter moratorium for water shutoffs will be lifted. According to WHYY, households that have not paid their bill for two cycles or that owe more than $1,000 to the Philadelphia Water Department could have their water shut off on the 31st. But households with children, people with disabilities, and seniors will not have to worry about losing their water through the end of the year. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. If you enjoyed the show, tell someone who loves murals. Rate the show, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to sign up for our morning newsletter too. It's called Hey Philly. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.